Welcome to another episode of Cine Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And here on Cine Nation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and the stories in them. And today I am joined by David Glenn the Fourth. David, welcome back. Thank We're you. Recording in the apartment. As you guys know, David's my roommate. Yeah. Um, the the uh, the sound acoustics might be a little different now that we got these. Different. Now that we got yeah, these, uh, it does sound different as I'm listening right now. But uh, this day, this is your, I guess, fifth time on the show, fourth time for a solo episode, yeah, fifth time total, and we're talking about horror, so I had to have you on here. Yeah, yeah. This month, definitely my my uh, my cup of tea. And we're talking about well, slashers. I know you're kind of mixed on. We, we, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I love like the obviously everybody loves the traditional ones, and I, I enjoy some of the cheesier ones, but it's definitely like a, it's a sub genre that just like if it if it's too tropey, it's just really hard to watch, you know? Yeah, because it's like oh, I've seen this twenty other times, and they've done and they had better kills, and they yeah. did it better, you know? They're so in the woods or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but when 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 a move when a a new slasher comes out or like a, a slasher that I saw from the eighties that did something a little different, then it's mm-hmm. always really interesting to me. So, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I guess you. I feel like when I'm looking at Letterbox of like slashers or, or even horror films to watch, I feel like you've either seen them most of the time. You've seen them is the thing. Yeah, I, mean, I went through like a run uh, at some point in college or, or grad school. I just watched a bunch of random like eighty slashers. <laughs> <laughs> so I have seen a lot of random ones because um, they used to be on Prime. I don't know if they still are, but there yeah. used to be a ton of them on Prime. Um, and they're short most of the time. They are, yeah, they are short. Like today's movie. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so we, we've been talking about slashers this month, uh, for October, and a lot of different things we talked about. We talked about kind of the the house. A lot of slashers have sometimes, or a lot of slashers have like a murder mystery element to them. Today, not that's not the case uh, with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, but a lot of them did, like a House That Screamed, and even kind of Psycho to an extent, or. Even just kind of exploring the lore of a character like Freddy Krueger and Nightmare on Elm Street, like there is some mystery element behind it mm-hmm. a lot of times. Um, and then you just have with slasher things. A lot of times, it's usually it's, a knife is the is the weapon of choice. And today, it's not a knife; it's a chainsaw. Um, but uh, you have certain kind of, I guess, the big character archetype that we haven't really discussed this month that we're going to discuss today. I think some is the final girl trope, right? Um, which is will come into play today and kind of one of the original final girls yeah. in terms of the traditional slasher film because Texas Chainsaw again there's a lot of debate of what is the first real slasher where yeah you have, everybody says Psycho is kind of the grandfather so yeah. I would call this kind of the creepy great uncle yeah. <laughs> well it's like I mean it's because it's like I think the, the big kind of like the big kind of debates are like is it Texas Chainsaw. Is it Psycho? Is, is it, it Halloween? Is it Halloween? Is it Black Christmas or even? Peeping Tom. Peeping Tom. So like it's all these different kind of movies that coming together. And so there is this kind of lineage, I think, with all of them um, in terms of what they're doing. But with Chainsaw, I think, as we'll discuss more, it's like it, it has the kind of like the the stereotype of, of, of or the cliche of the genre where it'll be like kids 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 on a road trip or kids right. going into the woods or kids doing this you don't want to mess around that old house yeah like that's it's very much that you think I would see you'd see later with Friday the Thirteenth sure. or whatever where it's like don't go when the when the old man's like don't go down yeah, there yeah. it's cursed it's like half man yeah and and some of that's there but yeah it's well I think also too to talk about with horror and I think we haven't really discussed it as much the past few weeks, but I think we can discuss it today is a lot of times horror slashers or whatever, um, does look at what's happening in the world at that moment in time. And I think this one specifically, it's very subtle, 
But that first half of the film, it's going to look at like what's happening in America at that point in time in 73, 74 era. Um, And we'll discuss that as we get deeper. But yeah, it's like, I think with the, the slasher genre is always kind of, I feel like it's the one genre that doesn't evolve as much. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. No, I mean, I, I think, I think when you're going to see a slasher, especially as a teenager, like yeah, all yeah. you really care about is seeing the kill. So it's not like, yeah, they didn't really have to put the effort into making it like a crazy plot. Right? Yeah, like, but they st- just hit the beats that you expect. You but know? still, with that, why something like today with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, how it's still able to hold up even after all these decades? Like, yeah. I think it's it's a it's a movie where. And one of the articles I read, they're talking about how, like, yeah, usually it's like horror films are not really carried over. Oh, to the next generation to the next of teens, teens yeah, yeah, yeah. basically. Whereas this one, I mean, it still has the impact fifty years later. Yeah, yeah and 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 we see countless remakes trying yeah. to capture that, right? That um, that essence essentially. But yeah, so we're talking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre today, and um, with this movie, uh, it was released in 1974, and it was directed by Toby Hooper. And written by Toby Hooper and Kim Kim Hinkle, uh, stars Marilyn Burns, Paul A. Partain is how I'm pronouncing it, or, par, or I feel like it's Partain. I'm Who does he play? He plays he plays um, he plays Franklin, her his oh, her, oh, yeah, her yeah, wheelchair yeah. bound yeah, yeah. her wheelchair bound uh, brother brother. Um, and then the other kind of big name, I guess, in terms of the of the cast would be Gunnar Hansen, uh, who plays Leatherface. Mm-hmm. A few other names to kind of uh, get to know: uh, Bill Parsley, who's a name you'll hear a lot, who is a investor in this in this movie. Um, you will hear the name probably of Bob Burns, who was a art director for this movie, and created the created, creepiest, yeah, pretty much the worst. house in this movie. Yeah. The, in this movie, um, and then cinematographer Daniel Pearl, who I, I, don't, I don't know if we'll mention much today, but he was he was this is his first movie he shot was this yeah. movie, and he also shot the remake, and he shot one of the remakes. Um and did a lot of different music videos and yeah, he, he worked on a lot of music videos. It's like his uh, resume is long. Yeah, and a lot of different films. I know he did a, a the Friday Thirteenth remake. Um, but he he went to school, I believe, with uh, with Hooper at UT Austin. We'll talk a little bit about that um, later. Um, but yeah, these are some of the major players. I think we'll, we'll introduce a few more as we go. But like I said, you're a bigger horror fan than me, and I feel like this is one of the few times when I've done a show. Well, I feel like the person that I'm talking with that when I wrote the episode knows more about it than I do. <laughs> um, so feel free to hop in with this as sure. we go on. But what is what is your history with Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Do you remember the first time you saw it? Yeah, yeah. And what's it kind of been like since then with uh, it? So there's kind of two points I think that this movie had a big impact on me. So the, the first time I was a, in a teenager um, and I was kind of watching all these slashers and watching a lot of horror movies at that age. And I was at that point where I was like, I had, had that attitude that you 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 meet these people that have that mm-hmm. attitude when they're going into a horror movie, like, oh, nothing can scare me or whatever. Yeah. And I think I think that I really do think that takes away from the experience, but not with this film. Uh, this film very much affected me so yeah. much so that I think I I not actively avoided it, but I subconsciously avoided returning to it yeah. uh, for years after um, until I got to to undergrad and. Um, I, I, at that age, in so, you know, sophomore year of, of, I think I mentioned this on the video drum, uh, episode, mm-hmm. but uh, sophomore year of, of college, I got more into, or I got back into horror, kind of rekindled my love for horror yeah, yeah. as I was kind of uh, also 
uh, gaining uh, appreciation for art house films. So it was kind of interesting that this happened in tandem. Um, but anyway, so I was able to return to this film mm-hmm. in my international horror film class that I took, um, which was cool to see it with the class, um, especially because a lot of those kids were in there because they thought it would be an easy A. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they were expecting to see something quite like this. I think they were expecting yeah. us to watch like The Conjuring or like movies of that of, of the modern <laughs> the era elk, yeah. at that time. Uh, but yeah, they uh, so it was cool to see this affect them. But uh, having that knowledge, that little bit more formal knowledge of filmmaking at that mm-hmm. point, I was really able to see kind of um, you know, the magic trick that is this movie. Like, yeah. It's really outstanding, not only the, the craftsmanship, what they were able to pull off with how little money that they had. Yeah, and it's it's a movie too where like it's, as we've seen many different remakes try to do, which again, we'll talk more about, well, you'll talk more about because I haven't seen any of the remakes, but I, from the look of what I can tell, uh, and I and other horror films try to capture this look. It's 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 very hard hard to capture the grime. Yeah, I of mean, this movie. Yeah, I mean, I, like you can track it up to what like the sixteen millimeter film. No, it's just something about it. Yeah, uh, I mean, not only is it the use, does it feel filthy? Like it just feels yeah. filthy. Like if I watch this in a dingy theater, I'd just be uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think that would add to the experience, or like yeah. in a drive-in or something, you know. But um, no, I, and I think also it captures the heat. Like you feel that feel the heat. heat. It's very it's just, sweltering, you know, yeah. humid. And you can almost smell the house. It's yes. just, it's, it's yeah. Like, oh, oh, yeah, we'll get into that later. Yeah, yeah. It's just the way that they, like, the world that they captured with this film. I, 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 it's hard to, to imagine another horror film that could, that could ever capture that feeling. Again, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, just pure terror and chaos. Yeah. And, and, and we'll get into kind of, I guess, spoiler territory later with the ending and everything. Sure, sure. Um, I mean, I've already spoiled, spoiled it a little bit when talking about the final girl trope in this movie. Um, but yeah, so my first time seeing it, they did a midnight of it at the New Art. I always I feel like a lot of the stories I come back to is it's at the new art or we watched it on a movie night. Um but we but yeah, I saw us the new art not long ago. It it might have been 2019 right before COVID when I first saw this oh, movie. Wow. And and in 2018 I went to a midnight for it. I think I sat like cuz I I tend to like sitting towards the back in like a midnight movie so I'm just like I come in late a lot of times before it starts because I don't want to deal with people in line at the concession stand. And I usually, and I like kind of being like pretty far away and seeing how everyone reacts. And so I'm back in like, I'm back in the back for a chainsaw. And just the ending of that movie, I was like, this is one of the most terrifying things yeah. I've seen. And, and I don't, and I don't know if it like, gets terrifying. And this is what we'll go into this later too. It's like this movie, I think is terrifying if you, like get what's going on i guess that if you like see like just this like the grime and disgust and like despicableness in the movie it digs under your skin it really yeah and and like i haven't read some like some find it like kind of funny and stuff what happens or how you how you read a horror movie as it goes but i remember coming out like that was just that was literally terrifying of her when she's in that the back of that truck yeah traumatized forever turns from 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 yelling into hysterical laughter yeah hysterical laughter As, and Leatherface is dancing. It's with just the dancing it's with celebration the celebration of chaos. And, yeah, it, and that just and it's a hard cut. Yeah, it's like it goes from like very loud, and when you're in a theater, it's like yeah. loud. You're hearing that chainsaw yeah. chainsaw roar, and then it's just like, it, and then it's credits, yeah. and you're like, oh shit. Um, and that's how I felt when watching it, where I was like, oh, that's insane. And and again, like seeing like those kills on the big screen, where it is feels like where it's. I guess meant to be seen, you could say. Right. Um, but yeah, seeing some of these deaths play out, it's and, and and seeing like really these amazing this amazing camera work. Yeah, the, the dolly the dolly shots is yeah, like uh, obviously the famous one under the swing. Under the swing yeah. and but there's a lot of them in there. Yeah. And I and I think even like the way they do the chase scenes at night. Oh yeah. The is, night stuff is gorgeous. I, that's one thing that stuck out to me this watch. I was like, whoa. 
and, and yeah, it's gorgeous and it, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, and if you haven't seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's it's streaming in a lot of places right now. I think a lot of them for free. So um, there, I think it's free on Tubi. Um, there's one if you have Prime, uh, or there's a, th- play, a thing called Freebie is what it is, I believe. And I we just saw an ad for that. Last we night. did saw an ad for last night. And and I've been wa- I've been watching some stuff on there of late a lot like lately movies, or, or movies yeah know. and so it's free with ads. Uh, is it a separate app or are you through Prime? It's through Prime, oh, okay. I think, but it's it comes free with Prime, I believe. Oh, okay, but uh, it it it's not a lot of commercials like when it does it, and and I think they have like the 40th anniversary cut, so I think it's it's HD, so it looks because I think oh, it's that remaster. I see it's it. it's yeah. a remaster, I believe. So like it's it looks good. So check that out if you can. Um, but yeah, so Text Chainsaw, it's like I've seen it once before coming in this podcast. Was Second. that a film print, by the way, or is that a DCP? Do you know? Uh, I don't know because this is one I almost want to see on like a film print from that time. Like yeah, been yeah, you want to see weathered. a beat up? Yeah, I want to see. I want to see it. Like, it's gonna. I want to see a beat up like yeah. like cigarette marks <laughs> exactly. and all that stuff. Maybe missing, you know, missing some frames here and there. Maybe, maybe it's reversed by accident or something. <laughs> it's upside down, and we're we're seeing the fi- the the frame as it's going up the the other the film. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's an experience. The experience seeing the theater if you can. Um, ho- hopefully, well, even. Even watch. So I remember we, we had a day where we were just watching like various clips from horror movies in yeah, that yeah. class. And then he gets so everybody's laughing at like kind of the, mm-hmm. the hokiness of of these clips. Yeah. And then he gets to the which we'll talk about later, obviously. But when she's captured in the you know dinner, the famous dinner table yes. sequence, and the class shut up. And, like I'm dead serious. Everybody was quiet, and you could just feel how uncomfortable everybody was. And it's we're in a class, like scene. a bright class. Yeah. Um, you know, college class. And yeah, it, it was it. It was just fun to watch this affect a, a group like that. Like I, yeah. I've never seen a movie have that kind of power. Well, it's it's always fun to see. Like I think with horror specifically, but I think any films, but horror, you get this like reaction, right? That can be heard or seen from someone when you watch something with someone that uh, for the first time, like you've seen it or whatever, yeah. and they haven't. I mean, that's kind of the fun of rewatching I mean, horror movies. We did this. We did this last night, and we went to see the thing uh, at, at Hollywood Forever here in L.A. and like hearing people like us knowing what's going to happen right. and then hearing when something happens like oh like it's it's like the actual reaction you yeah. get of or how hearing someone like wait is this what's going on like they're just like people just like a, a good confusion if right. that makes sense right. of like the the wheels are turning and in, trying to realize what's head, going yeah. yeah what's going and I remember on I was, ta- I was standing to the side talking to this guy because I didn't want to interrupt the first like dog transformation yeah so I was standing to the side talking to this guy and he was like yeah my friends haven't ever seen this I was like oh man they're in they're in for, yeah well for a was, we were with someone one of our friends that was there shooting it was the the dog stuff and she's like oh yeah the, I'm, I'm on the side of the dog and I was like oh just wait <laughs> spoiler alert happens the thing um but yeah it's it's a it's it's a good and so Texas Chainsaw I would be interested to see like with other people who have never seen it before how their reaction and be like because it's i mean and and we'll we'll dive more into favorite scenes later with some of the stuff but like sure, just sure. the way they introduce certain things is very is is amazing um but yeah let's dive into the history of how this got into production um a lot of the stuff that uh is in this episode came from an article from the possibly from the texas monthly it was, it was at one point published in the texas monthly not published somewhere else before uh article called they came they saw that was released it was published in like 2004, I guess, is what it was, um, is the thing. And the author, 
credited author is John Bloom, who also goes by the name of Joe Bob Briggs. Uh, he's yeah. you know he he used to do Monster Vision on TNT back mm-hmm. in the day, and and then Shutter brought it back. Yeah. Um. For or not Monster Vision, but brought him back to do the Last Drive, in which he does. He's been doing for the past yeah. few years. So a lot of this is from his article. Yeah. His, his article. Yeah. So John, if you're listening, I'm, I'm going to shout you out. I don't think you are listening, but I'm going to shout you out for this because it's a well written article. Very well written. And, and it's and it's buried kind of online. Uh, and this is kind of stuff I wish we got more. We're in a, we're, it's a weird period right now with like kind of film criticism and analysis. Like I'll, I'll find some of these old articles where like Vanity Fair did this. Like I remember we did Preston Sturgis where Vanity Fair had this like really like 10, like, like 10, 12 minute read or even longer on Preston Sturgis and like his history. I was like, this Whoa. is, this is a great, and like you're not seeing Vanity Fair and these places no. do articles like that anymore. Like that's, I don't know where you kind of get those as much nowadays. It's just, it's, you, they, they're, they, there's less of them is the thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so when talking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you have to start with Toby Hooper. And Toby Hooper was born in Austin, Texas on January 25th, 1943. Hooper claims his mother went into labor while watching a movie in a theater. <laughs> um, uh, and so it's no surprise that growing up in Texas, he, that he was close to a, lot, a collection of theaters um that he was able to watch pretty you grew much up watch in Austin right yeah grew up in yeah. Austin watch me every day I, I I've read differing sor- sources where one source said that his father owned uh, a hotel yeah I read uh, that. on Congress Avenue which is like, like I think kind of downtown Austin or whatever and it's near like Paramount it was like near Paramount Theater and there's a lot of theaters down in that area and kind of downtown Austin now where I think some of the film festival they have now kind of plays around those areas um, but there's also, I heard another story that his dad owned a theater. Oh, wow. In a different, a San, yeah. San, like a different city in, in uh, Texas. So I'm not entirely sure. Either way, he went to a lot of movies growing up. Yeah. Um, and in 1962, he applied to the University of Texas at Austin, where he st- studied at the newly created film department. And apparently at that time, he was one of only two students there, apparently. Um, well, studying film, wasn't it like a big, it was like film. a radio, pro, radio, radio, TV, TV and film. film. So there's only film people there. Yeah. And I, I understand I, my, my undergrad was in uh, telecommunication film. So it was radio and TV and broadcast oh, and man. sports broadcasting and all that. So, yeah, so he was one of the two film people. And, and maybe Daniel Pearl, who was the the DP, yeah. it might have been the other one. It didn't say in that article. Um but yeah, uh, he would he would then quit. I think after two years um, and begin working as a documentary cameraman. I've read, and also he was a college professor yeah, as yeah. well. Um, uh, yeah, the sixties were different. I don't know if he got a degree, but he was able to teach college after that. Um, he made a short film called The Heisters that apparently drew some interest from the Academy Awards for their short subject category. Oh wow! But he didn't finish in time for their deadline. So I don't know how they heard about it, but they did. Uh, and then he would make his first kind of feature film called Eggshells, a psychedelic experimental film about a group of hip- hippies who move into an old house in the woods and discover a presence hiding in the basement. <laughs> I think it's hard to find from, from, what, from what, I, what, what, I've, what I've found out. Um, he, he said it was highly inspired by the French New Wave and the filmmakers of that era. Some people kind of quoting, saying it was very Godard. Um, but it would gain no traction. Uh, but it would be the first project where Hooper worked with his future collaborator, future Chainsaw collaborator, Kim Henkel, who was an actor and writer for Eggshells, but he actually met him, I think, as you said. At, he was actually living in that house that they were, yeah, where they were filming. Where they were filming. <laughs> the, com, co, commune. the commune or whatever, the hippie <laughs> commune uh, in the late 60s. Yeah. And so they they just kind of hit it off. And Henkel was originally from Virginia, but he attended UT Austin 
uh, where he studied English in, I think, 1964, 1965, mid-60s. Um, and so after ca- eggshells came and went, Hooper was trying to find some project that could gain him notice outside of the small Austin filmmaking community. He wanted to make the jump to L.A. without having to move to L.A. And he soon watched George A. Romero's Night of the Living Dead, which was kind of becoming the talk of most college campuses in America. And Romero being this regional filmmaker out of Pittsburgh, I think is what it said. He was like, this is how I kind of get known. Horror was kind of the answer for him. Sure, and also the impact that that movie had at drive-ins, like the yeah, financial impact. Yeah, it was impact. big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, like I said, it was playing around the country. Yeah, and they also made Night of the Living Dead for nobody. Uh, for no money, yeah. and then also we'll go with the issues of rights and stuff right, like that, right. too. Um, so Hooper and Hinkle began collaborating on a script that would be essentially a, originally a modern retelling of Hansel and Gretel. Um, and one day Hooper was stuck at a department store, I think around Christmas time due to the heavy crowds. And he, it was, he said, he looked around and saw a rack of chainsaws and thought I could get to the crowd easily if I use just one of those. <laughs> and that became the even idea for the future slasher icon Leatherface. Uh, Hinkle would begin going over to Hooper's house every night, working the script, turning their basic idea of Hansel and Gretel into something completely new and fresh and more deranged and more deranged. They, yeah. Originally it was supposed to be like, uh, I had trolls under a bridge right. and that turned to Leatherface. Um, they wanted something more sinister and they began researching stories of cannibalism and serial killers. Cool, which, of course, led them to Ed Gein. Ed, Ed Gein, which we talked about briefly in the, in the Psycho episode, and Ed Gein being a, a handyman in Wisconsin who was a grave robber that stole body parts and he killed two women, among other things that he did with the body parts. And also, very, he was inspiration for Psycho and also Silence Lambs with Buffalo Bill. Um, Hinkle said uh, he also looked at a serial killer by the name of Elmer Wayne Henley, who had recently terrorized the Houston community around that time. Um, Hooper said after the chainsaw idea came to him, the base of Leatherface came from a doctor he knew who said that he had taken the skin off of one of his cadavers he was using in med school and used it as a Halloween mask. What the hell? Which is disgusting. Sorry, I didn't no, it's okay. You can say hell on the podcast. <laughs> um, after, have, after having somewhat of a script, uh, Hinkle and Hooper began looking for financing for their low-budget horror film. The doctor just nonchalantly like dropped that. It sounded like it. <laughs> and I was just like, are we not going to question this? <laughs> I was. I'd be getting a new doctor immediately if yeah, that's the case. The um, but they soon came in contact with Bill Parsley and Warren Scarin, S-K-A-A-R-E-N, um, Parsley was the vice president of financial affairs at Texas Tech, and Scarin was the first director of Texas, uh, the, the Texas Film Commission at that point. Um, Parsley, I think, had, was also like in good with the governor or something at that uh. time, and like they had actually, and the governor, I think, I think the governor at that time like owned uh, some theater, like a theater chain in Texas or something. Oh wow! And Parsley saw himself as this like budding movie producer, basically, and they had done two films together. Um, and one day, Scarn called him about this indie horror film that was in the works and was looking for kind of investors. And Parsley kind of hopped at the chance, and he agreed to invest sixty thousand dollars in the film's entire budget for fifty percent of the film's profit. Um, but soon, a few other investors would get involved. Hinkle's sister, Catherine invested $1,000 of her own money 
Parsley's attorney, who initially said it was going to be a tax route because it was going to be a failure, he invested $9,000 in the film. And then another Austin citizen at the time invested $10,000. So his Parsley's initial investment lowered from $60,000 to $40,000. But I think he still owned 50% of the film's profit. Right. Um, Hinklin uh, and, and Hooper um, were shocked by how many people wanted to invest in this project, and they quickly agreed to the terms that were uh, given to them. Um, they would soon begin casting for the film, and one of the first people pers- one of the first people cast was Marilyn Burns, who would play the film's final girl, Sally. And Burns was an aspiring actress in Austin, having been an extra in several high-profile projects like Robert Altman's Bruce from Cloud. And she was also working at the Texas Film Commission at the time for Scarin in hopes of finding out what projects were coming to town so she could audition for them uh. and possibly land a role. Um it was unclear who got her the audition because she knew Scarin. She also knew Parsley. She also knew kind of, I think, a few other people involved in the project, but she soon got an audition and landed the role. Um, the rest of the cast was rounded out by casting local actors from drama schools, community theater, uh, some from Hooper's first film, uh, Eggshells, I believe. There was, I think, I think the guy who's driving the van. Yeah, he's is, like an older hippie. He's an older hippie. Um, the big standout from the teen cast was Paul Partain, who played Franklin, Sally's wheelchair-bound brother. And Partain had recently played the brother to up-and-coming actress Susan Sarandon and seen Lamette's Love and Molly, which had been shot in the area in 1973, which was an adaptation of uh, Larry McMurtry's, I think, Leaving Cheyenne. But Sarandon's role in that film was actually supposed to go to Marilyn Burns, and she was actually cast in the movie, but apparently one of the film star... One of the film stars in the movie, or one of the stars of the film, Blith Danner, Gwyneth Paltrow's mom, um, asked Saint Lamette to recast her because she knew an actress who, who basically, I have a person who could play this part. Don't cast this local oh, person. Uh, and she ends up casting. They end up casting Susan Sarandon for this role. So it kind of, it kind of sucks because you're looking like if Marilyn Burns is in this, what kind of career right. does she have? She wouldn't have been stuck in the. Because and we'll talk more about some of these people because a lot of these people who are involved in front of the camera, not as much backing, but the people in front of the camera, movie was kind of a career killer. Yeah, they, they said that it's a resume killer. Yeah, it was a resume killer. <laughs> it was like most of them didn't have roles after this movie right. because because of this movie. Um, so but they cast Partain because I think Hooper's like if he's good enough for seeing Lament, he's good enough for me. Um, <laughs> and one of the final people cast in the movie was Gunnar Hansen. Uh, an Icelandic-born actor who had moved to Austin with his family when he was 11, after living in Maine since he was five years old, so more, um, I mean, more lived more in America than he did in Iceland. Um, and because of his large stature, he was about six four. Um, art director Bob Byrne said that Hansen got the role before he even walked in the door because they saw him through the window as he was walking across the street. Oh man! Um, Hansen, however, did say in his audition, Hooper asked him if he was violent. And Hanson said no, and he goes, "Are you crazy?" And he also said no, and Hanson was like, "But I promise you, I could play it." Um, and that's how he got the role yeah. of Leatherface. And in that behind-the-scenes doc, uh, he 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 seems very well spoken and like very yes. well read and very intelligent. Now, which is to play interesting later. because I feel the same way about Robert England when you hear him. In oh, interview. Robert, yeah. yeah, Robert England's fantastic. Yeah. and like and and a lot of these people, and this not just like those people, but like the lights people who who get put in the horror sometimes you either almost choose to follow the, it's like there's a few things you can do. You just follow the path of horror and just, you. I think that's what England did. England just like, I'm committing to horror from now on for the rest of my career because 
if I don't do that, I don't know how many rolls I'll get because it'll always be Freddy in most people's right. eyes. Or you somehow find a way to break out of that. Or in the case of a lot of these people who are in this movie, nothing happens with them right. once the movie. Well, especially over. at this point, because horror was yes. kind of. Was, it wasn't big yeah, yet. Like yeah. I said, it's it's big, but it very much opens up after Halloween. Halloween's kind of the like, oh, we should really take a look at this horror right. thing. Is what it kind of feels like. Um, and now with the cast in place, a script is finished, and a small sum of money is in their pockets to make the movie. The movie is moving to production. So that leads us to favorite scenes. So David, what is one of your favorite scenes in this movie? Uh, I'm going to call it the favorite sequence because I think going from the opening crawl, which is amazing, to the like true crime remnants with the flash, yeah. the classic like flash yeah, sound yeah. effect, uh, to the body in the graveyard and the yeah. back shot, and then then to the opening titles. So that first like four or five minutes. Yeah. It just instantly sets the tone and instantly gets you under your skin and also makes you feel like this is something that could have happened. You yeah. Know? Or at least that's the intention. Yeah. I, I was telling beforehand, so it feels very much like uh, Charles B. Pierce's Legend of Boggy Creek or like even the Talent Dread Sunday that came afterwards. But Legend of Boggy Creek came in 72, which makes me think, I don't know if Hooper saw that movie, but it was being made in Texarkana, so the border of Arkansas and Texas, and it was this massive hit in Texas. And it's it's basically done as a um, docudrama, yeah. And it has it has narration. It has that opening like this is a true story about the legend of Boggy Creek. And I wonder, and that's also a very low budget kind of horror film. Also, kind of a, it's it's kind of tries to be a family film, which will actually kind of come into play with this movie too. Weirdly enough, uh, later. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think he could have saw that and like kind of took remnants of that in this movie. I'm not sure. I don't. I've never. I haven't read anything on that. But just based off timing wise and what was going on, and because he was, it seemed like well in tuned with what was happening in the film community in Texas. People were probably talking about Charles B. Pierce's sure. Legend of Boggy Creek. So that's a possibility there because it also starts with the uh, opening. Thing. Well, I, I also think this opening is interesting in comparison to a lot of slashers because a lot of slashers open with like a, a opening kill, a kill. Whereas this and is like, first, oh, we're just going to unnerve you with yeah. The first their kill crimes. doesn't happen until thirty-five minutes right. into this eighty-three-minute movie. Right, right, right. Like it's literally when I mean, you look at it, it's literally the first kill is almost not till the midpoint of the film. Right. That's insane to think about. For a movie that's considered one of the greatest slashers of all time, it's thirty-five minute mark is when the first kill happens. Right. But, you know, so that opening part, you get the news radio stuff. And that was one thing I want to bring up is that, and one of the things I read that Hooper said that he was also inspired to write this book, movie, that book, movie, um, because of all the stuff he was hearing on the news about these murders and about these these killings that were happening. And if you listen to the, all that news radio stuff, it's like, this this thing happens in Atlanta. This thing happens in Indiana. This It's like, there's just like violence and 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 anger and 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 murder and all these different crimes just happening all around the country sure and that's just in the background of this movie and i just find it kind of ingenious of how he how he brings that in and also brings in a little bit later kind of the idea of like the slaughterhouse is is like now moving on or oh you hit him with the hammer that's the easier way not this gun stuff but it's it's interesting kind of like in a 70s horror way to say like technology is pushing these right. people out. Yeah. And the, this family is be basically being driven out by capitalism, if you want to say, or by progress in a way. And, and you're, uh, I wrote down, I was like, is society the real villain in this movie? <laughs> is this why this family has turned this way? Because like no one's helping out Leatherface and this like, no, like this, his brothers and that's don't all care. He knows. That's all he knows. 
and like and like societies and, and society has kind of turned the family into like we don't need you anymore and we're pushing you towards the outskirts literally with, yeah. with them on this farm in the middle of nowhere and how it, 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 I'm, I'm reading too much into that but I just think it's no I mean, no no I definitely think there's I, a but I think there is anti-capitalist there is, uh, subtext yeah. to it for sure but it's very much like it feels like he's trying to say something about like these characters being pushed out by, be, by, by society progress, yeah, yeah. by progress by society and everything and being forgotten being yeah. forgotten and uh some of them can't kind of handle yeah. that basically. Um, and you're also in this movement of it's this, it's this Vietnam war era. It's this counterculture era and what's kind of happening in America at this time. Um, and so I find that just kind of looking at that from that perspective, fascinating for a horror film. That's a low budget slasher film in 74 yeah. to made tr- in Texas, <laughs> made in Texas to make a lot of comments. And like, I think I even heard Hooper say like, it's a, it's a veg. It's a anti meat movie. Like it's a, it's a, it's a vegetarian movie. Basically, is what that, was, that's pretty funny. Yeah, because because it's like everything. Like there's meat and there everything's so much around this. Um, I think even I heard that Burns. I, I've heard that, no. I think it was Del. I heard that Del, Guillermo del Toro said that he became a vegetarian. I don't know if he still is after he saw this movie because it's just so so much meat <laughs> and different things uh, in it. Um, but yeah, it's like so. But yeah, it sets up this world very well from that opening crawl yeah. and like and like the thing before about, you're even introduced to the, the main character yeah and like the grave robber stuff like the, the whole stuff with me like it, it's just like it, i mean i guess it comes back into play but not really it's just yeah, like uh, Jim, like, jim's uh or the old man mentions that uh that the hitchhiker almost got caught grave robbing yo at, yeah, yeah when yeah, he's yeah, driving yeah, up yeah, he's yeah, driving yeah. up he goes they almost caught you yeah um but yeah, it's like. But I also just love the kind of like small town atmosphere. Like everyone's just like huddled around the cemetery. Yeah, what is that? They're just. I love like, that dude in the tire that's just hammered. Like just hammered. Yeah. yeah, like just sitting there. It's like, oh, her, her daddy. Her daddy used to. No, uh, go talk to him. He'll show you where to go. <laughs> and then you gotta have like the the very like. Uh, oh, don't mind if I take a lady, man. Yeah, the hand, the very handsy like guy who's who's definitely making a pass and 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 uh, uh, getting into her personal space. I'll take her over there. Don't worry, I'll take care of her. Um, but yeah, and then but then you lead into that scene when they're leaving, and then you have the hitchhiker. Yeah, that they pick up, which also instantly like instant. Wait, you don't find out later until that he, that he's part of the family, but it instantly kind of sets. Yeah, sets the, the Every, unhinged. You're you're, you're, relation, you're on edge the whole time. Oh. This guy is 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 like unhinged. He's on edge, and it's he's weird. Um, and it also kind of shows the good nature, good naturedness of the of the group of the group uh, that they'll even pick up this hitchhiker again. That's kind of again the, to the, their downfall. It's, it's yeah, well, it's, it's also kind of again the hippie. Like, oh, let's help. Let's help. Right. Let's, let's, let's help him out. And that's um, almost a trope of a horror movie, kind of like now it's yeah, ending now it is. up in yes. the country. And then, you know. Yeah, but this kind of, it's this is the first one to do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's like you have that that scene, and he's just so uh, just so odd with the cut. He's cutting his hand. They don't know why. He gets into the rant about the uh, 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 the slaughterhouse and, and head how, cheese and head cheese and how, and how to come to dinner. But I, my, uh, Edward Neal's his name. But my fair is when he takes the picture of them, he's like, "That'll be two dollars." And they're he's just, just hustling, man. He's just, and they're just like, "Get the picture back." And they just burn. It's like, like, like about to do like a voodoo thing to it, yeah. basically. Where he burns it and all that stuff. But yeah, it's just like from then on out, you're on edge, for and, real. and you don't know what's around the corner. Because also, and I think also too, when you're coming to this movie now, it's different when you're coming to it back then. When you're coming to it now, 
you're expecting something to happen. That's why it's so, again, go with like Psycho, how the kill happens 40 minutes in the movie. Um, uh, with that film, 35 minutes in is when the kill just like, you're expecting something, you're expecting something, nothing happens. And then when they get into the house, this is why I remember when I watched it in theater, just so shocking when the dude just kind of trips over his feet when he's inside of the house and then Leatherface just like comes in, bam, bam kills him, and then just slams, slams door. that door. And you're like, what the hell just happened? And the thing about this movie too, similar to Halloween, for me it's supposed to be so violent and disgusting from the critics of 74. It's not that gory. And we can talk about that when we get into the sequels. But yeah, yeah I, the part of what is so effective about this movie is your mind fills in the gaps. Yeah, it does. Um, now he uh, I, I, on the behind the scenes doc apparently Hooper did want to show the meat hook like go into her yeah, yeah. but That's the it's so kill. much more effective your mind can your mind will will fill in that gap and will make it so much more effective than if it was an actual like practical effect especially yeah. with the money that they had you know yeah because what I think what that does is that he's putting her up you don't see it and then it cuts away and then she's just kind of on right. On the hook, and even when he's carving up her boyfriend, it, you, 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 it's kind of like blocked. Like you see his, the chainsaw coming down, and you yeah, see, yeah. It, but the table's blocking it, and then she's yeah. in the background. It's just like the perfect horror yeah. frame. And, and anytime you're cutting, like when he does the kill, like you're, you, when he hits, like when he hits the first guy over the head with like the mallet or whatever, um, you're, it's a, it's a wide shot. You don't see a close up of the hand, of the mallet coming yeah. down and hitting him. Um, and it's so brutal watching him like flail around. It, it feels like like, like yeah. what he's talking about. Like they are the the cows to the slaughter at this yeah. point, you know. Yeah, and that's when like it starts to feel like a snuff film with what what it does. Right. But yeah, but you, you have that great cinematography when they're coming in the the around that same sequence when the shot under the the swing when yeah. she's walking up and and goes into the house and then turns into that kill as well for her against her. Yeah, but and then we were like we're talking about it's like the, yeah, the first kill's not till thirty five minutes, but then you get those two like back to back, two back to back. And then we move back to um, Sally, Sally and, her, and her boyfriend, and her boyfriend, and then and Franklin and Franklin, um, and and so that's when it gets to when it gets to Franklin and Sally. And it's between them two. That's actually a really beautiful moment. I feel like but the, that moment when it's just them two. Yeah, uh, it feels like a very sibling. No, when he first leaves. Sorry, not when. Yeah. not when they're arguing about going after them. Correct. But when yes. he first leaves on his yeah. own and she stays behind, they kind of have that really when he sweet asks, sibling when he, moment. When he yeah. asks, like, "Did you not want to bring me here right, or whatever?" Right. Which is kind of all, it's been the elephant in the room the entire time. Yeah, because you have that scene when they're, when they're at that, ha- the, the, their old house that's abandoned now, and he can't, and they're all upstairs, like, and you just, he can't see them, so it just, he, he just want they're probably just like making out or having sex or whatever, because you just hear them like giggling and laughing upstairs, and he's just like, eh, yeah, Franklin, we're going to have a lot of fun time. And he's just like in, in the living room, just pissed because he can't do anything. Right. And we're gonna go. With it. We're gonna go to the creek, Franklin. And he can't just get down the trail. Yeah, just stay yeah. around here, Franklin. Um, I actually think he's the best actor in the group. Yeah, a lot of people. I think a lot of people's qualm with this movie is him, but I think he's effective. I, I, I think, think his character's he's really effective good. as well. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, he he serves the story purpose that I he think, needs to serve. I, I get that it's like because I was watching. I go, is he really good, or is it? It's just so different, and like his performance is so different in this movie that it's like not good. Does that make sense? It's yeah. like it's one of those like I can see you landing on one one side of the fence, but I think he has like um like the most of like outside of I think outside of Sally, he has the most to do. Yeah. 
And I think even he has more than she does in that first half. I think she doesn't really have much to do. Well, with he's the, kind of the main interaction with the hitchhiker. Is, yeah, is with the hitchhiker, yeah. he's the one having to go to the bathroom at the beginning of the movie. And, he and he's kind of the one the that pushes them to go to the house, too. He pushes to go yeah. to the house. It's the it's the whole flashlight stuff with her. He, oh, me, yeah. It's the same when he's asking about, like, did you want to bring me here? Yeah. It's so, like he's kind of the, 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 the main part for that first 30 minutes. And then... And you think, like, it could just be like, it's going to be a horror film about this brother and sister on the run. Right. And then pretty quickly, I th- and that's why I think is the best kill in the movie, is Franklin? Yeah. Is Franklin, the yeah. flashlight kill, where it's just, I remember just watching that in theaters being how, like, shocking that was. Yeah. Where the flashlight's going and this chainsaw's going down, yeah. he's yelling. But, you're like, but again, you're, like, behind his wheelchair. You're, like, yeah. you're not seeing you're the not chainsaw seeing carve into it. You're, you're seeing, seeing it. it from, like, behind. It's, behind. And, that, again, your mind just, it, 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 it makes it so much more effective. It is. I agree. And then and the nighttime stuff again in that sequence is just great. Like the, the way, oh yeah, yeah. When even when she's just pushing him through the, when she's pushing him through. Uh, and then when she starts running, I, and I think that gets into like literally the thing, the best part of the movie yeah. where you're getting just into, nonstop adrenaline. Yeah, when 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 he when it's like she's being chased and then like essentially escapes and then gets caught again. Like it's and I love okay. So you have the right of the woods. I think it's shot beautifully. I think a lot of this stuff when you watch it. I think you could pull certain sections and it could be like it was from a modern day movie. If that yeah. makes, it's like it's like it's it's certain sections just look beautiful and well, gorgeous it, for something so it, it still looks so much better than so many like modern horror movies, especially of the era when they first remade this in like the the two thousands or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like the studio horror movies of that era. I just I do not care for the look for many of them at all. There's been no. I, I haven't seen the te- these yeah. these, but there are certain movies I know that were remakes where it's just it's like. This movie has fast cutting for the time. Yeah. But sometimes there'd just be fast cutting in those later horror films that just like just did not make Well, it's so much sense. handheld too. Yeah. It's like it, it just it's like they're trying to capture this like grizz, grizzly yes. feeling. And they're probably adding some like n- like new metal music to it or something <laughs> to really amp it up. Like I, I literally the movie I always I mentioned it earlier, the movie I always think about is the When Stranger Calls remake, where it just feels so like of the year it came out with the music, with the editing, with yeah. the production design, with like the technology of it. It all just feels like, and there could be a charm to that for some people. And usually that's a charm for me, but for that movie, it just did not, the plot of it just didn't work anyway. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's just sometimes when you're trying to make it of, like it, when you're trying to make it so modern, it becomes of the era. It becomes so dated very quickly is sure. the thing. Sure. And something about this, like, I mean, honestly, you could still see some of the stuff if you go go drive in the middle of the South or in Texas of driving like the roads or or that type of house that they're in. You could see that stuff today, sure. Still, so it still feels somewhat like authentic, weirdly enough, uh, uh, for a modern time. Um, but yeah, so I like. Well, I guess I guess we're kind of just talking the movie now. But what's what's the scene that you, another scene that you like that we haven't discussed before we keep moving on? Uh, uh-huh. I mean, yeah, I mean, the dinner, I would say the dinner table to like the final chase yeah. is, is I, pretty yeah. amazing. We don't have to like dig into it right we, now. We can't, but no, I, I love, I also love the twist of when she, oh, with, with the old when, man, yeah. when the old man, who's the older brother, when she's going to the gas station to try to get help and she gets there and it's a great kind of like, again, Hooper does a great job of directing this where like she thinks she's safe. And then when he goes and gets the truck and she's looking at, like the meat and she just starts to like she literally sees how the sausage is made. how the sausage is made and you're like oh wait yeah 
and she starts like, could it be? To be fair, though, he did tell them not to go to that house. He did. He said, just hang around here. I got yeah. some good barbecue. And, he, and, he, and he's like, he, he, said, he, goes, he goes, don't, don't those girls don't want to go to that house. He don't around there with some old house. Yeah, don't go there. Um, uh, so he warned him. But when he hits her with that broom, dude, that might be the most like menacing thing in this movie, dude. Like he's like beating her with that broom, man. Oh, when they're, when they're in the gas captured, station? Yeah, we, uh, yeah, it's brutal, man. He does in the gas station. And then he does yeah. in, the, in the truck when they're yeah. driving, yeah. which is just, he's just like playing with it. Yeah. It just it feels and like you see where the younger brothers kind of got their sadism, you know. Yes, or you see the generational sadism. That yeah, that's been passed, passed down, down yeah. just from brother. Like, like yeah. but I guess it's like because now then I realize they're all brothers and he's not the father. Right. It's like he believes that that one that that one bullies the, the other, other one or yeah. whatever. And Leatherface is almost still childlike. That, oh, that's a great scene that I was going to talk about. Yeah. After he kills. The, it's after the meat hook and after the you know he starts to carve up the other one. There's he's, that scene just by himself. He sits down and yeah. kind of is like, and you're like, it's, does he even register what he's done? You yeah, know? it's it's it, it, it almost makes it more horrific. Yeah, it's like he's just kind of the the muscle for this family, you know. And it he's the muscle, but he's also like because the way they tried like dressing up for the yeah he's kind of stuff, the mother he's figure. kind of the mother stuff. Yeah. He's wearing a wig, he's wearing makeup. Puts on a suit and stuff for for the for the dinner table. But yeah, once you get to the dinner scene, it's just it's just like, and once she gets into the house and everything, yeah. it's just it's from start to finish. There, it's like it's it's wonderfully. Do- I mean, it's wonderfully done in dis- in, a, in a disgusting, despicable way. I guess you could say. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's and she's and we'll talk about that. She's great. Marilyn Burns is I think fantastic yeah. in the role from beginning to end. But yeah, it's like the what it that sequence, and then the way it starts cutting when like her eyeball. Yeah, like, it's, like, it's avant garde. It really yeah, is. Yeah, it really it, just, it gets experimental. And you're wondering like is that, is that coming from again what happens in Eggshells, his first movie? Yeah, but like it, it becomes the, the European influence. The European influence, where it's like it's that French New Wave stuff that he's that they're going for. But yeah, it's just like and then yeah, and then he she gets out. I wonder what happens to the truck driver. That like He's runs driving the black Mariah. This, the, the, <laughs> That's yeah. what it's called. The black yeah, and, and he runs. He gets he gets a wrench and like just throws it at Leatherface and then just runs. And he's a bigger dude, so he's like trying to like go along. And then just like that truck comes up and like goes the opposite way. She gets in the car and it's that it's that great kind of tension of is he going to catch her before she gets in the truck? Right. Um. But yeah, it's like when they just the her getting awake and like and yeah, even the even when when the hitchhiker's like like stabbing her as she's like basically toying with her when she's yeah. like when she's running away he's just like he thinks he's gonna get her so he's just like like playing with this he sees this thing basically right. he keeps stabbing her over and over again um but yeah again and and the way it's like and that well i guess too at that ending moment you've been in the dark for so long at that point in the film in terms of like visually yeah, you don't really know what time of day, day it is, is. Yeah. and that's just like bust, past, bright sunrise that's yeah. just like yellow light everywhere and it's blistering when she's running out and just yeah, it's just that again the image of her in in the truck uh, as they're driving covered away, in blood covered in blood hysterical laughter you don't know if she yeah don't know if she's laughing or yelling or crying or whatever and then it just cuts the letter face just spinning and spinning in the sunrise yeah. celebrating it celebrating the kids yeah and I feel like we did this movie is very short I feel like we broke down almost all the scenes in this movie when talking about favorite scenes. But um, but yeah, it's just like that back half of it just yeah. really is. Well, this, the way it's constructed it is, is, yeah, it's it's it's, yeah, it just it really moves, man. Yeah, and it, and it holds holds your it holds you because <laughs> like it, it's what it does with some horror films. It's like yeah, it, it's sl- it's somewhat slow for that first half purposely, I think. Yeah, and that second half is where it just speeds up and it doesn't doesn't let loose basically. 
which is a which is a fun ride and sometimes can really work for a film. And I think it works here. Um, but yeah, but any other favorite scenes you want to you want to mention? No, I think I think that about I think, covers. I think we covered the entire movie. <laughs> um, first time ever. Um, so let's go to onset life because that's a big chunk of this sure thing. Or yeah, I know you've read some stuff, watched some stuff as I talked about. But yeah, so it comes to onset life of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It was everything but easy. Uh, they would begin shooting in July 1973 around Round Rock, Texas, at or near an old Victorian home uh, that stood in for the Leatherface and his family's house. And apparently it was actually owned by a hippie named Smokey, and it was beginning to deteriorate at that time. A lot of commune hippie houses, apparently, he's going into with these movies. But yeah, uh, outside temperature, as if you're in Texas in the summer, uh, would reach up to over 100 on most days, and inside the house would reach up to 115 degrees Fahrenheit for our non-U.S. listeners. Um, the house only had one bathroom, I believe, uh, for a cast of cast and crew of 40 people. Um, so yeah, uh, they would talking about cameras briefly. They would use a specific, uh, I think, a Claire Camerettes, I believe, which were specifically used during the French New Wave oh, and filmmakers they liked. But those cameras require a lot of light, so you have that with the Texas Sun. Um, uh, because they're on such a time and money crunch, the production shot seven days a week, uh, for twelve to sixteen hours a day. Um, with one reported day reaching upwards of 26 hours. Which was that dinner table. Which was yeah, the dinner table. Because they thing. had to shoot out Jim Cicito, and they also yeah. ran out of appliances for Grandpa. Yeah. So they were like, well, they had to shoot we all just, that. Yeah. And we'll come, I have and some I more. And I think, I mean, obviously, I think that energy is captured in that sequence. Yes. Yeah. And there's more, I have one more thing about the dinner table stuff that I'll talk about a little bit later as we go. Um, that's, Yeah. Uh, several crew members, not surprisingly, would walk off set due to the long hours, the weather conditions, and the low pay. I think some weren't getting paid at one point. Um, Bill Parsley, the main investor of the film, showed up most days wanting to know what was happening to his money because it seemed that Hooper uh, and Hinkle were spending it at a rapid pace. Uh, to create a realistic slaughterhouse atmosphere, uh, Bob Burns, the art director, decorated the house with animal bones with eight dead cows, two deer, Three goats, one chicken, an armadillo, and two human skeletons. One real and one made of plastic. Um, that ar- speaking of that armadillo at the beginning when the van first comes up. Yeah. Apparently there's a, there's a, there was a debate in this behind-the-scenes doc. Hooper says he never said he wanted to run it over. Oh. But, but Bob Burns was like, no, no, no. He wanted to run it over, and I was not going to let him because I I taxidermied that armadillo myself. Yeah, I'm not going to let this man run this. Over. Yeah, there's a uh, yeah. They, but I, in the script, and uh-huh. they mentioned this in the doc as well. It was supposed to be a dead dog at the beginning, oh, um, like a roadkill dog. Yeah, uh, and I was like, oof. Um, but I th- I think something about the armadillo just it, it feels Texas. You know, yeah, it feels, it feels very Texas. Because like I've never seen an armadillo in my life. You know? Oh, I have. Really? Yeah, in the South, sure, Alabama. Yeah. Um, I have seen one get run over. Actually, oh, now wow. I think about it. Well, I just got really country. Um, <laughs> but um, but uh, but yeah, Burns also talked about how like he goes. Yeah, nowadays he goes. I think it was Burns or because he did they have a prop guy. He's like, I think so this is, they did all the props. It was your Hinkle or Burns set. Like he's like, yeah, when you're doing a movie nowadays, like when you're doing a chainsaw movie, you get like ten different chainsaws. We had one chainsaw for the entire movie, basically. Um, so yeah, and, and instead of fake blood for the movie, they actually used real animal blood for most, oh. most of the shoot. Uh, and since the movie took place over a day and the film had a low budget, all the actors had to wear their costumes the full five weeks of filming. Uh, they also didn't want to wash them because they didn't want the colors to change or fade. So when it came to, to, to Marilyn Burns, she had to wear animal blood 
drenched clothes for weeks basically i think they said like it was basically like it was like a solid by the time they got oh, done man. with the movie because she had been she'd been drenched in blood so much the entire time um it also seems none of the cast got along while filming the movie most of the cast did not like Marilyn Burns because during breaks she was allowed to sit in Bill Parsley's air-conditioned Cadillac while everyone else stayed in the sweltering Texas sun. Uh, Burns said that she did that in hopes of calming down Parsley because uh, I, I think they were, I think she was friends with him because she was friends because of the Texas Film Commission, all those people. She tried to calm him down because he was upset with Hooper and threatened to shut down the movie possibly. Um, Bill Partain was also not making any friends on set because he chose to stay in character as Franklin while off screen, oh, no. resulting in the entire cast despising him. He said that he had like done a little bit of drama school and like he wanted to uh, really go method, uh, and he didn't realize that it was a movie that you could stop in between takes and not like <laughs> theater where you're going. Uh, during the flashlight scene, apparently between Burns and Partain, they apparently did not speak outside of the takes or film because they were so pissed at one another. Um, <laughs> most of the actors said that Hooper seemed confused uh, and wasn't sure of what he wanted while making the movie. Uh, since most of the actors had some form of training, they all thought that he was incredibly inexperienced since he wasn't giving them much direction. Um, Gutter Hansen was particularly upset because they cut out all of his dialogue in the movie in favor of just him squealing. Um, Hanson had done a good bit of prep for the role, going to local special needs schools to study the movements and mannerisms and speech of these kids who possibly had something that 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 Leatherface might have had as well. Right. Uh, he also ran a mile a day to condition himself for the big chase scenes toward the end of the film, thinking he wanted to be able to run fast for when he chases uh, Sally. Uh, almost every actor on the film was injured at some point. Edward Neal, who played the hitchhiker brother, had his face burned by hot asphalt, is what it is. Oh. I, don't, I don't know why, why he has that mark or whatever else. Maybe that, I don't know. But uh, Partain also had a cut, had cut and bruises on his arm after he fell down during that opening uh, opening scene when he rolls down the hill. Which apparently was the last shot he shot. Oh, was it? That's what he said in the, yeah. in the doc. Um, well, yeah, that, that's what you do. So... What you usually do when you're shooting a movie, if you have a dangerous stunt for someone, you put that at the very end of the movie. Yeah, so get hurt. If anything happens, you're good. Well, granted, he was in a wheelchair the entire film. The entire time, but yeah, he fell on a hill. Uh, but he also got attacked by flesh-eating mosquitoes what? during his death scene. So apparently, when makeup departments people were basically throwing like corn syrup on him to like he's getting blood. Right, right. Yeah, and apparently mosquitoes were attracted to that and just started like going at him while they were shooting that scene. Gunnar Hansen also had a big scare during one scene because he couldn't see much out of his eye holes and his mask. He couldn't see any out of his peripherals. Uh, and he tripped and fell at one point, actually throwing the chainsaw up in the air, and it fell down right next to him, like almost cutting a part of his body, basically. Um, oh, man. Burns, however, was the person who went through the most pain on set, specifically during the film's ending, at the dinner table, as we talked about, it was a 26-hour day shoot. Uh, she was poked, prodded, dragged, hit, and cut. Uh, there was issues with the blood tube that they had connected to the knife when that when they cut her finger. So they actually just cut her finger instead of using fake blood or anything. So if you notice, it is a one-shot where they cut her finger and the grandfather sucks the blood off yeah. the finger. He didn't realize he was sucking real blood from her finger. 
Uh, also, the grandfather played by an 18-year-old kid by the name of John Dugan. Who I I've met. Oh, yeah. You've met. Very, very nice guy. Very nice guy. Okay. Yeah. Well, he, he, he was good as the old grandpa yeah. with all that makeup on. Um, the, he was sitting in the makeup chair for a long time. I don't doubt that. Uh, it was also during the scene that Jim uh, Sadow, uh, who plays the old old brother, actually hit Burns several times uh, when they were kind of trying to tie her up and everything and when they were kind of fighting her uh, because Hooper said it did not look real when he was faking hitting her and Burns eventually said uh, or eventually told him to actually hit her for the scene, causing bruises to come up on, on her body and face. Um, on the final night of shooting, someone brought brownies, which the cast and crew devoured pretty quickly. It wasn't until later they realized they were pot brownies and they soon began to, f- to feel the full effects of it as they were trying to wrap the day. <laughs> and after wrapping, after I think five weeks and, and just Texas sun, production was over and that leads us to Aftermath. And it would take Hooper a total of eight months to edit the final film. Uh, he kept pushing par- Bill Parsley off, not allowing him to view the film because uh, he kept wanting to see it because his, his money's in right. it. Um, Hooper would begin calling the MPAA while editing it, trying to figure out how to cu- what what he should look at when trying to cut the movie down so he could get a lower rating. We wanted to get a PG, didn't he? He wanted to get a PG rating. That is correct. He was trying to get the, the young people in, the family people, the families in. Um, but once he submitted it, it was, he was shocked to see that it came back an X rating. <laughs> um, he would then cut down even more to get an R rating. And so while they were trying to finish the film, uh, Hooper and Hinkle, uh, they, they realized they were out of money and they went back to Parsley thinking like, Hey, we're almost done. Can you help us get this? And Parsley refused saying that if they didn't finish it, he would then own 100% of the movie and would just hire his own editor instead. So basically saying, I'm not helping you because if I do, then then I won't get the full movie and I'll just, I'll, I'm, I'm going to finish it no matter what. I'm just not going to help you. Um, so what Hooper and Hinkle do, they got in touch when they're, when they're I guess, friends, it's a screenwriter in, in Texas or Austin. And he knew this attorney that had a poker, poker game with a few kind of upper class people who had a little bit of money. Uh, and Hinkle and Hooper showed the poker players 12 minutes of unfinished footage, uh, and the group agreed to put up the rest of the money for 19% of Hinkle and Hooper's company, Vortex, which they had started for the for the film. Um, by this time, uh, the possibility for them to truly profit from the movie was dwindling. Um, and to this day, or we'll talk about this more with the, with the money stuff, the cast and crew, but the poker players apparently were still getting residuals as of 2004 oh, wow. of the money they had put in yeah. for that. Um and after a few misfires, uh, I think Columbia, Columbia almost bought it for $25,000 to release it, but then they backed off because of possible controversy. The film was finally sold uh, for, I think, $225,000 uh, with the promise of, the, of a 35% of the box office. Um, and this is when it gets interesting, as you know. So the company they end up getting involved in is the uh, Bryanston distributor uh, distributors uh, and the brothers of Lou and Joe Pereno. So tell me, because you read a little bit, what ha- who are these guys? So apparently they're a part of the Colombo fi- crime family. Colombo uh, crime yeah, family, which was part of the mafia. Yeah. Um, and yeah, essentially, so essentially they did the classic Hollywood money trick where they yeah. said, oh, this only made a million, whereas they're looking in the trades and they're saying, wait, this made 12 million this yeah. week and why aren't we getting our percentage? Not only that, the cast thought they were getting points 
on the overall. They they didn't realize that Vortex only owed fifty percent, and yeah. even now, even less at this point, thirty one percent. Yeah. So they were getting percentage of percentage of percentage. percentage. So they barely got anything. Yeah, I think um, I think Gunnar Hansen said uh, the money I got from that movie wouldn't even pay pay a ticket to go to Disneyland. Uh, today, when he like said that in like 2014, yeah, which is crazy because this, I mean, it's one of the highest grossing horror movies like ever made. Oh, ever made, <laughs> yeah. adjusted uh, for inflation. It's yeah. like, but yeah, apparently the Pereno, the Perinos, uh had financed a string of bad, mo- bad money losing movies, and their company owed so much money by this time that all the prints were being held hostage by labs and sub distributors who wanted to be paid. Um, one of the attorneys that they invested a little bit in the, uh, invested a little bit in the movie. Um, was threatening suits and fine lawsuits, causing problems for everyone who had chainsaw prints. Uh, but he didn't make much headway. And sometime in 76, two years after the movie, the Prano brothers just vanish, uh, which resulted... the company went under. The company yeah. went under. And um, this resulted in years of litigation among the Texas investors with it, basically. Um, and yes, yeah, so no one really made any money on the movie that actually made the movie, essentially seems. Um None of the actors, most of the, sound like most of the crew didn't either. Um, but when the movie was released uh, in, the movie was released on October 11th, 1974, um, of course it was met, met with a mixed reception from critics, with some <laughs> calling it despicable, disgusting, every kind of sickening, every kind of cinema you could go with that uh, 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 viewpoint. Um and but but some some reviewers still caught like this. I think Rex Reed that was like Gunnar Hansen kept like Rex Reed loved it. I think he said it was one of the scariest movies ever made. I think he was I can't remember if he was at New York Times or something. But yeah, it was just like a lot of reviewers were not fans of this movie. But it began to make a lot of money. I think you said it made uh, like six hundred thousand in Texas alone. Yeah, on like in the first four days or something. The first yeah, four yeah, days, yeah. Uh, which which would be about five ten million today or whatever, and that was just in Texas, and it was well, uh, that was five ten million in two thousand four, so that would be four, even more today. Even more today. Yeah. Yeah. But so it makes sixty thousand. That's literally the budget that they had, right? Or six or six hundred or sixty thousand. Sixty thousand was the initial budget, I think. I don't know how, no, much, how, you, know, how much it made in Texas. 60, oh, six hundred thousand. Yeah, so it made so, so it made <laughs> ten times its amount its budget right. in Texas within like a, a few weeks right. or whatever. Um, and then it just grew and grew and grew to where it became this pretty much massive hit. And it played it in drive-ins for like years. Oh and, yeah. And not only that, it went international. It played all over the over all over the world. Yeah, and it and it and it became kind of the inspiration for a lot of horror films right. that came afterward with Freddy. Because I know, I think um, Bob Burns would end up being the. Uh, Art director, production designer on Wes Craven's Hill ha- Hills Have Eyes, yeah, which was a lot of horror movies. which was an homage to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, you have things like Halloween, Evil Dead, Blair Witch. I think uh, really Scott said that he cited Alien, or he cited Texas Ch- Chainsaw Massacre as his big inspiration for Alien, um, and so it just kept growing a fandom and appreciation as time went on. I think finishing up at around. Thirty million dollars oh, wow. uh, for its box office run total, um, and then it resulted in. It also was banned in several places. If you could not guess, or, or they ended up cutting it down even more in certain countries. I think they had to cut out the word chainsaw in Britain. I believe. <laughs> um, in Is this the one title. of the video nasties? Huh? Was this one of the video nasties in Britain? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It goes as a, while the British ban was enforced, the word chainsaw itself was barred from movie titles, forcing imi- imitators to rename their films. Um, 
so yeah, it was yeah it was yeah it was banned. Yeah, after its initial British release, including a one-year theatrical run in London, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was initially banned on the advice of the British Board of Film Censors. Um, yeah, so then I guess it would be considered one of them. Yeah, um, and then I think in Australia it was it was cut down to seventy-seven minutes. Wow. Um, so it was cut cut sixty. Yeah, in Sweden it was all it would also symbolize a video nasty as discussed too. Um, but yeah, it's again. It's appreciation has grown from multiple directors and and just fandoms, and so it, well, I think independent filmmakers still cite it because oh, again, yeah. it's like what they pulled off with the budgets, it's, regardless of how you feel about genre films. Yeah, and so and yeah, let's talk about the kind of the cultural impact of this. So, like, so for one, let's talk about the whole franchise oh. as a whole. How many? Like, you've seen them all. Yeah, I have. I, I, I like I like the second one. I like the second one just because it goes in such a different direction. I mean, you can look at the poster and you can tell like, yeah. oh, this is gonna be good. It's making fun of the Breakfast Club. It's like, yeah. oh, this is gonna be goofy, and it feels cartoonish and it feels. And the best thing though is you have Dennis Hopper. Yeah, Dennis Hopper playing this like sheriff who's hunt, hunting hunting the Sawyer family. Um, and yes, there is a chainsaw duel with Dennis Hopper, and that's mm-hmm. if that's all, if that's all you needed to hear to see the movie. Now I know people weren't and people still don't like it as much as the original, obviously because it went in that way farther dark comedic tone. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's super zany and super like over the top, you know, intentionally so, but I think the people just weren't expecting that. They wanted another Texas chainsaw, the original. Um, yeah. And so I think it still has that kind of, uh, reaction a lot of the times. Um, if people don't know, don't know that going in. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah. And then the third one, uh, also called Leatherface cause there was a Leatherface later in the, in the 2010s. Yeah. Um, that Leatherface Texas Chainsaw Massacre three, does have Ken Foree, so it's got that going for him. Yeah, for it. Uh, it also has Vigo uh, Mortensen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think is that, the, is that the one Kim Kim Hinkle? Uh, no, 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 no. That this guy directed it. Uh, his name was uh, Jeff Burr. But um, the censors got this one too. So there's okay. like a bunch of kills that are like so choppily edited uh-huh. because uh, they just literally couldn't cut around the gore that they had shot. Gotcha. Uh, to, get, to get the lower rating. So this one's kind of always cited as the one that uh, got butchered because of that because uh-huh. of the MPAA. Um, and he, even the director himself, he mentioned that in that behind the scenes doc. He was like, "Yeah, I mean, we just did what we could because, like, I literally I shot the kill to show, show the gore. I couldn't come yeah. around it. Like, I just chopped it up." Um, then there was the next generation, of course, which had Matthew McConaughey yeah. and Renee uh, Zellweger, yeah. right? And they were planning to release that, you know, as they were both blowing up. But the studio, yes. I forgot which studio it was, but one of them was like, "No." Screw that because uh, we can't have McConaughey's face be associated with this right now. Yeah, you know? they kept pushing yeah. it back. Yeah, I think it and was, that is the one that Kim Hinkle directed. Uh, yes, the next generation. Yes, that's when they kept pushing back. Yeah, Sandra uh, Adair, who is Linklater's uh, editor, edited that movie. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, um, it's it, it, you know it's it's not the best. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I think I think the best sequel is, is the second one. But yeah, but then we get into kind of the modern era and we get the the, the first remake, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. Yeah, um, in two thousand three, I think, and that one has Jessica Biel, um, yeah. directed by Marcus Nispel, who also directed the Friday the Thirteenth remake, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the Friday the Thirteenth remake, um, and also shot by Daniel Pearl, who shot both of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know people do like this movie. I just think I think it completely misses the 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 impact that the original had. Mm-hmm. I think it feels too. Cl- I mean, it's going for that like dirty look, and it's got like grayscale, and it's got a lot of like haze, obviously. And yeah. But a good casting though is um, Arlie Ermy is in it, um, and he oh, yeah. he he is essentially uh, he's not the same role. Uh, he's not old man, but he is essentially that. Kind of version, or version, yeah, yeah in the, in modern the movie, version. Yeah. Yeah. He, he plays a sheriff called Sheriff Hoyt, yeah, uh, who turns out to be you know involved. Um, uh, so yeah, 
So we'll see three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So nine total movies yeah. for this franchise. Yeah, well, then we kind of get into the other ones that everybody hates. <laughs> yeah. I know some people yeah. who, I, mean, I don't know about the more recent ones, yeah. but I know, I think up until 2013, I know some people who, will, who at least defend one of the like one which, of those movies. Which one, the 3D or the ones we Pretty did? much oh. any from 03 to 2013. Oh, wow. They will defend. Yeah, people like the new beginning? I, or, uh, some yeah, people. The beginning, the beginning. I don't know if I don't know if the review I don't know if everyone does. But I've seen this. I've seen it once a long time ago. I don't remember anything about this movie. <laughs> Again, I have not seen any of, any of these. I can't, I don't want. I, I do remember the 3D one because that one had Daddario, and it was during the the post 3D conversion like trend. Um, yeah, it was 2013. Yeah. So it's 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 about it's yeah. it's, it's kind of at the tail end three, of three. Yeah, yeah, three years after kind of Avatar yeah. and everything. Um, and then Leatherface is another like origin, or it's like it tries to go back to make it be an origin about him when he was a kid. Yeah. yeah. Um. And then obviously there was the new one that came out this year with the the girl from eighth grade was in it. Um, it came out on Netflix. Famously, uh, so there were some issues with production. Um, yeah, Elsie Fisher is, is. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, it came out on Netflix this year. Um, but yeah, I mean that's pretty much the series. Uh, very different directions for a lot of them. The families, <laughs> the, the 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 family dynamics are always changing. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's well, the, that's it, families. Yeah, uh, but like you know what I mean? Like there's like oh now he has a brother and a and a sister and now he has a mom and now there's yeah. a mom. You know it's like it's like um, it's always changing uh, between the sequels. So it's almost like they they retcon and reboot every time. Yeah, but, but yeah, but yeah, but it, but the thing about this movie too to go with kind of all that, why I think. It's an interesting kind of text for early horror in terms of it inspires a lot for one, too. And there's it's also kind of someone's always try to reinvent it in some way. But I know the big thing I think one and one of the articles I read, and then kind of since there's always it's one that I see a lot of like discussions about, I guess, portrayal of women or like female characters in horror sure. films. So like some people kind of say it's misogynistic because a lot of times in the movie, if you watch it, the violence the most of is violence against women in it. But then you have some, I think in the, in the article we read was talking about how like this was a, a personification of what it's like to be a woman in Texas. Yeah. 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 Basically well, it was like a feminist critic that, yeah. uh, that wrote a whole piece about that. <laughs> yeah. So there's different kind of viewpoints that, that kind of comes up with this movie of like, is it feminist? Is this this final girl? Well, it's, it's dealing with kind of trauma. I think we're in a very, with, with Halloween ends just coming out, this idea of like trauma for these characters. Like it would be interesting if you, if you could ever, she's she's passed away. Who played uh, uh, Marilyn Burns passed away in I think 2014. Um, but like, if you tackled some of those older horror films of these characters yeah. now, like, what do you deal like 40 years later? Yeah, yeah I feel like Halloween Ends kind of touches on that, and yeah. it would have been more interesting if they kind of stuck to that direction. Yeah, uh, like how does she live now that you know now that also is supposedly gone, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but the, the reboot, the the most recent Texas Chainsaw, yeah. did bring Sally back. Okay, um, and she's gotcha. played by the lady from Mandy. Um, interestingly enough, um, uh, Andrea Rod. Uh, uh, no, 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 not 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 Mandy, but the, oh. uh, she's in the cult. I think I can't gotcha. remember her name. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, she uh, and she she was she was good in that role. But it's like it's like they just did it to have that kind of third act battle between yeah. them. She doesn't really show up until then, and it's like, um, yeah, it was. Well, it felt like it was trying to be the 2018 Halloween. You know, I, I guess I should try to revisit or watch all these Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> I, ones, no, I mean I don't like. think. I mean again, it's like I, I feel, it's like how I feel like with a lot of horror sequels. It's like it, it's for completionists. <laughs> yeah, like like I said, I hadn't even watched the, the all the way through the Texas Chainsaw 3D or the Leatherface until this year when I was mm-hmm. watching them for the the Netflix. The movie, yeah. yeah, just because I was like, oh, I might as well finish it off. Um, well, but yeah, I mean I, I don't think I will ever revisit any of them except for <laughs> two. You know. And that's just because two is so ridiculous and, and different. And I love Dennis Hopper because yeah. Dennis Hopper, I think it's the same year as Blue Velvet, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, 86. Okay. It's the yeah, same yeah. year as Blue Velvet. But he's in Texas Chainsaw Massacre well, 2. 
Well, if, if you're if you're listening out there who is a big fan of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the New Beginning, or the beginning, yeah. what, whatever, which one, email sinationpodcast@gmail.com and voice your opinions and maybe concerns of David's viewpoints on Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I don't know, um, but I mean, people complain about the the timeline for Halloween and like how confusing it is. But like, look, look, look I was trying to explain the timeline. Of this. <laughs> like, what? You need a diagram. You need there's different you, families. Yeah, yeah like characters are dead or alive. Yeah, it's like there's but new beginnings and old beginnings. Yeah. It's like what is this? Um, uh, but yeah, but so yeah, so let's 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 go in kind of the, the back end of our show. So what worked about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, David? I mean, I think like we're talking about it's like it, 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 there's few horror movies that I've seen in my life that that, that genuinely capture terror. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only that, it's like it oozes in every frame of this movie. Yeah. Um. Whether it's like, oh, is there some, is there going to be something around the corner, or it's like literally the last thirty minutes, which is just nonstop, yeah, like nonstop adrenaline and nonstop mm-hmm. horror. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think I think that I think it's very much effective in in what it tried to capture. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just it's crazy to think the the chaos you know during production, which we which we discussed how that. How, how that was captured on screen. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying we should ever try to recreate that because we shouldn't. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously we should be safe and we should not be mm-hmm. doing the things that they did in, in the seventies um, with $60,000 when they're making this. Yeah. But, um, but I mean, I, it, it, it's a very effective movie. Yeah. Um, so I, no, I agree. I, and there was, there was kind of people saying that like you had the actors saying like Hooper didn't know what he was doing. Then you had some people like there were production people that were kind of saying like, Hooper knew he couldn't make the movie with the money he made, so he had to use the elements as a way sure. to like enforce certain things. I guess. I'm and not one of the things sure. we didn't touch about in the on the in the post section, but it talked about that in the behind the scenes doc. He had all these like crazy instruments, and he was making all these crazy sounds. And uh-huh. so a lot of the soundscape is him just, just doing, yeah. smoking joints in his living room, just messing around with his instruments. Yeah. Uh, but it like it. I mean, it, that adds to the 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 mood and the atmosphere. Yeah. yeah. You know? No, no, it does. And, and I, I'll backtrack a little bit because we didn't talk about this, but yeah, so a lot of these people um, talk about the cast and crew, like, didn't do much after sure, sure. this movie. Uh, Hooper and Hinkle had a little bit of, like, they got a three-picture deal at Universal because Spielberg liked the movie, William Friedkin liked the movie, and I think Friedkin was big on pushing Universal to give them a deal, and Friedkin was like, okay, let me teach you all the bullshit about Hollywood, guys, and, like, starts kind of telling him, like, okay, you so we have to deal with and pretty soon, like Hooper makes made uh, Eaten Alive is what it was, which I actually think is a very interesting film. Uh, Arrow released it, so I have the Arrow Blu-ray back home. Um, very strange, one of Robert England's first roles, yeah. not his, you know, very early in his career. And Marilyn Burns is also Marilyn in Burns that. is also in it. Yeah. Really cool production design. Um, it's like a gator. He, it's a guy that yeah. owns a motel. That I think it was. I, I think it's a Roger Corman yeah. movie. Oh, or, I didn't or, know that. Or maybe yeah. it's a Roger Corman esque movie. Yeah. Oh no, it, fe- it definitely feels that. It, it feels very like. Uh, yeah, B, B picture, but it's fun. It's it's a fun it's a fun horror. Yeah, I think it's just Roger Corman esque. I think yeah. someone used uh, yeah. Corman as a as a comparison. But I had like it was called Eaten Alive. It was called Death Trap. It was called Horror Hotel. It was called Starlight Slaughter. It had all these different names. I try to re release it because right. it it, di- it didn't do well. And so pretty much that was like again Marilyn Burns, one of her kind of follow up where it was a bigger budget. Toby Hooper got bigger bigger budget. Written with Kim Hinkle, and that failed. Um, uh, just two years later and so pretty much a lot of them just ended up not going and Kim Hinkle who was in that deal went back to Texas he wrote a movie called Last Night at the Alamo which is a really good movie 
Um, very different from Texas Chainsaw. Very Massacre, different. It's very much like I think people kind of call it like one of the best like homegrown Texas movies. So if you want to look at like kind of lineage, it's like this and or it's like that, and then like Slacker and Dazed and Confused, or at least that and then Slacker. Like it's yeah. very much a link like Linklater inspired essentially, because um, it's it's like just a bunch of characters at a bar on the night of it possibly closing, and it starts kind of revealing of what these kind of these personalities and. And this town is like, uh, I think it's in in Austin. It was on Criterion at one point. I don't know if it still is, but it's worth checking out. Uh, but yeah, Pinkle wrote that movie. It was directed by uh, uh, Eagle Pinnell, I believe is his name. Um, but yeah, it's like most of the actors, think, I think like, I think some of them just became like salespeople or I think some worked at like banks. Like they just all like tried Hollywood for about at most a decade and then just quit and moved back to where they were from and, yeah. and had odd jobs. Um, and it's sad to see that. Like yeah. even, even Hooper had a little bit, he had, he made movies, but yeah. Well, it, I mean, he made Poltergeist obviously. And then he, yeah. then he was working with Canon in the eighties. Yeah. Um, he, he came back and did Chainsaw too. Yeah. Um, and kind of just hopping around for a long period of time. And, and, and of the horror, you know, his horror contemporaries, you look at like, I mean, Carpenter got, you know, he got blasted by critics too at times, but yeah, it's like, it's like he never really got the. I think the appreciation that kind of his contemporaries no. did. And he never really got, cause he kept, he was, he was, he was uh pigeonholed as a horror director, sure. yeah. which we, we, we talked about Wes Craven like two years ago or whatever that happens a lot of these hard directors and you have to find a way to get out of it or use the genre to your, your benefit. Or try to like find a way to weasel to the side of it, you know, like yeah. adjacent, do a horror yeah. adjacent movie. Yeah. And, and I think it was always kind of yeah. difficult for him uh, in this era, but back to what worked. Yeah. I think, I think his going with him. His his direction works. Yeah, yeah. I think again, it's like the look of the movie. It's it's very few films cap. I mean, like films of that era, of course, capture that look. But I think very few films capture that look that you can still watch today and like be entertained by and be scared by, and and kind of wonder how the hell they did what they did yeah. or whatever. Um, there's not a lot out there from that era. And again, and, and the rise of like like. There was independent productions, which we've talked about previously, of like that the, at the end of the fifties and the sixties. That was just big names with big money. But this is like pure low budget, yeah, indie, homegrown filmmaking, homegrown yeah. regional filmmaking, yeah. not made outside of Hollywood. Um, that was happening at this time. It was starting to kind of rise up in the in the early to mid seventies. Um, but yeah, so I think the whole look of it, I think the vibe. I think I think for the most part, like I think uh, Marilyn Burns and Paul Pertain work in this movie as actors. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the performances generally are good, especially because you look at a lot of horror movies, <laughs> especially yeah. a lot of slashers. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> this is uh, acting's horrible. This is Brando level acting compared to a lot of a lot of the so, slashers yeah. of the eighties. Um, did anything else work that you want to mention? No, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think I think I mean, yeah. Uh, I think the way it uses, I think the way it uses locations and the way it uses oh, Texas yeah, as, as a backdrop yeah. is great. Um, and and all and that. Like, yeah, I mean, like I said, you can feel that summer heat. Yeah, like, you like can you literally see the way, heat waves. You know. Um, did anything not work about this movie? Um, so I know a lot of people. Well, I shouldn't say a lot of people. So I know that some people will complain that the characters aren't uh, like super fleshed out. Yeah. I mean, you have the Zodiac girl, and you have yeah, yeah, the astrology, yeah, and stuff, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um. I think I mean, it's just like that's a slasher trope, right? It's like yeah. the teenagers that are, you know, whatever. Um, but in this case, I, I do care for them, uh, at least especially Sal, because we have that moment between Sally and Franklin. I think that really adds to their dynamic. It makes you care for them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think they feel dispensable, but I can see people making that argument. Yes. That makes sense. The, the other three in the, in yeah. the band, yeah. 
And, and going back, I also think he can make an argument for the like the portrayal of women in this movie of how of the the violence against them versus the violence against men sure. is is different. And again, that's I, I again I always, I'm not smart enough to kind of dive into it in terms of the the effects because I know people have actually done studies on this movie of how like men men and women react to the portrayal of women in this movie right. and how like sometimes. Uh, the the violence against women gets basically the men who watch it their uh, the their senses get dull to it basically and they don't see it as much of a big deal as they watch it again and again. Well, I, what was interesting to me in that horror film class, um, yeah, because we did talk a lot about slashers and, and, yeah. and the controversy in the textbook, but it, the idea that that teenage boys were like the prime audience for slashers, yes, but they would also I, themselves identify with the final girl, yeah, which makes another interesting like counter argument, yeah, you know, it's like. Yeah, yes, the violence towards women is, is can can be seen as misogynistic a lot of times because of most of the time the victims were women in, in yeah. these movies. But they are also identifying with a female protagonist, a strong female protagonist yes. a lot of the times. So I think that's an interesting... Uh, at, the end the movie, at the end of the movie, is is a survivor in right. some way. Right, Um, But now has to deal with this these traumatic yeah. events in their life. Um, But you, yeah, it's, it's more just like... Because sometimes this happens when you're doing a horror film. It's like It's like... I don't like diving into that much, but it's like the equal time given, I guess if that makes sense mm-hmm. where it's like three guys get killed. One woman gets killed, but I think the more brutal kill is the woman getting hung on a hook. Oh well, no. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of what's being shown, right, I, I right. think the chainsaw kill is the best and maybe the most brutal, but also still like it's all at a distance. Yeah. And that one's still pretty. I mean, the close. idea of it, it's just so brutal and yeah. menacing because you know? that's the one that's being tortured essentially right. yeah. and the rest and she's are being open. hung there not yeah, only that she's watching her boyfriend yeah, get it's the get, most yeah so that, that's why it's like it's like one against three and that's still the one that's the most yeah, I, gruesome yeah gruesome and yeah. so and so i don't know what does i don't know my viewpoint of it I, I it is just like you could argue there is some discrepancy there or there's sure, some un- sure. unequalness there in that um but uh but yeah and I, yeah i guess some, i guess some of the some of the local actors, I guess, in the graveyard stuff, I don't love. Yeah, but they feel Texan. They, they feel Texan. And it just they gives you a little flavor. Gives a little yeah. flavor. Um, I also, I, I, I don't know. I would be intrigued to see what dialogue Leatherface had before it turned I into I would also squeals. be curious. Yeah, because I didn't know that. I, yeah, I, I would be interested to see what type of character right. that was. Um, I don't, I'm not saying what they have is bad. I think it works for the movie they're trying to do and for the period. But it would be interesting to see, like, was was Hanson really trying to bring some like complexities? Sure. To like, further, were, further were, were there going to be more than just that sitting at the window, Moment, yeah. like kind of like mm, upset with himself type thing? Yeah. To than what we got, right? So that's 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 why I don't know. Um, all right, film facts. Um, one film fact was that the production manager, I believe, his name is. Ron Bozeman uh, would later be a producer. He's one of the ones that actually had, a, up, had a bigger career. Had a bigger career, and he ended up producing uh, and winning the Oscar for for Best Picture for Silence of the Lambs oh, in wow. 1991. So another movie inspired by Ed Gein, right? And you, yeah, it's like you wonder, oh, and he was also from Texas. Like, oh, I'll just get the movie. It's kind of like Ed Gein again. Um, uh, and then uh, one big thing that, and they brought it back, I think, in the, the recent one was uh, John Larroquette, who's who's an actor. John Larroquette show, Broadway actor to TV film. He's the uh, 
for for people our age, they I think they know him as the as the villain in uh, Richie Rich <laughs> with Macaulay Culkin. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah I've seen it. Yeah, um, it's been a long time. He's, a, he's been he's been the practice Boston legal. Uh, um, I he did he did he did the Broadway show how how to succeed in business that way trying with Dan Radcliffe. Like big actor, but I'm just like, but yeah, he was uh he was in uh Richie Rich. But um he he is the narrator at the beginning of the movie that does the opening thing, and he was like an unemployed, like a young, younger actor unemployed, probably like like tw- mid twenties or whatever. And they they said that they had heard that he could do a a, a decent Orson Welles impersonation. Whoa. And that's how he got the the job to narrate the opening part. I mean that narration is just it's, like, great. it's a very like yeah deep booming voice yeah. and it just and the way it's written it just gets under your skin. And that was his first movie. Oh wow. Um and that was and I think he was only like 27 or so when he did when he does that narration. Wow. And he doesn't sound 27? No. And then he's the narrator for the 2022 Texas Chainsaw right. Massacre yeah, yeah, it was they brought, they brought him back for that. And I think he didn't I think he narrated even the, the beginning as well Texas Chainsaw Massacre the beginning so I wish I remembered something from that movie. <laughs> it's been a long time. But yeah, I mean, also Night Court. I forgot about Night Court. But yeah, he, he, uh, he, yeah, so he's, he's the voice on that. The film which you are about to see is an account of the tragedy which befell a group of five youths, in particular, Sally Hardesty and her invalid brother, Franklin. It is all the more tragic in that they were young. But had they lived very, very long lives, they could not have expected nor would they have wished to see as much of the mad and macabre as they were to see that day. For them, an idyllic summer afternoon drive became a nightmare. The events of that day were to lead to the discovery of one of the most bizarre crimes in the annals of American history, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, all right, awards. The Beatrice Strait Award, actor, actress, and scenes that kills it. Um, is Jim sat out in few enough scenes? For that to count, because I know he was only. I think there for, he is. Yeah, so I would. I would nominate him. I think he's only in. He's in the gas station part in the back in the first first yeah. half. But I don't think he shows back up to like a uh, hour. Gets, yeah, yeah, trapped. Yeah. I'll count it because the movie's so sh- the yeah. movie's pretty short, and I think he's only he has the dinner scene, the gas station when she runs. I think she's. I think he's in four scenes. Yeah. So for this movie, I'll count it. So I think I think he is the. I, I said him and him in the car, him in the truck when he's like so hitting brutal, her, man, and talking to her, and, is and like, his laugh too at the dinner table. His oh laugh yeah, at the dinner table. Jeez, man. Yeah, it, it's it's yeah, and and he he was the only that's that's a film fact. He was the only SAG actor. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's he why was, they only had him for limited days. Yeah. Limited, he was the only SAG actor on the film because they had to have a SAG actor. Um, all right, Annie Pox X Factor Award supporting actor actress says the most memorable. Okay, so that this is where it's hard. I mean, do you pick one of the the five five or uh, do you, you pick Franklin? <laughs> do you pick Franklin? Um, do you pick Leatherface? That's the question. Yeah. That's the question. Because I don't that know. is a performance, man. Especially it is a performance. Yeah. I was I was like, oh, I think he's kind of a leave. I was like, well, was like, he doesn't kill anyone. He doesn't show up till thirty five minutes in. So, but he is one of the few with a scene by themselves. He is yeah. one of the few scene with a few by themselves. Um. It's like okay. Here, here's here are the people because I, I, I don't think Marilyn is supporting. Marilyn Burns is Sally. No, she's lead. she's lead. I, I don't know. So I think for me, it's between two people. It's between Gunnar Hansen as Leatherface or Paul Partain yeah, as, as Franklin. Franklin. Um, 
And hmm, I mean, my vote would be for for Gunnar Hansen, but I, I think they're both they're both very effective in what they need to do for the story purpose. I'm gonna go with Gunnar Hansen because yeah. I think sometimes. Okay, sometimes the acting, it's all talked about like dialogue driven, but the big thing you had to talk about is physicality. And Absolutely. The, and, and the physicality of him as Leatherface is phenomenal. Um, and so because of that, I think he he wins it um, for this. But I think Paul Partain is, is an interesting runner-up. Yeah. Um, well, also I, what he had to communicate yeah. through the mask. <laughs> exactly, and the eyes yeah. and everything. Like he, yeah. he He's... And again, it's the ending. The ending shot is what I think. I think gets me when he's when yeah. he's when he's spinning around with a chainsaw on the sun, a Texas sunrise. Yeah. I think that's that's an image that will, if you're playing if you're playing a, a clip thing of the greatest horror images oh, no or doubt. horror yeah. scenes of all time, that ending it's it's a you could choose between him spinning around with a chainsaw or Marilyn Burns driving driving away in the truck covered in blood. Yeah, it's like those two are, are two of the greatest horror images of all time, in my opinion. So I would say I would say Gunnar Hansen with Leatherface, um, and the Gene Hackman MVP award, the person who carries the movie, director, actor, etc. So I mean, I think obviously we'll go with Hooper, but I would like okay. to nominate both Daniel Pearl as cinematographer and um, oh, interesting, and Bob Burns as production designer because I think both elements obviously yeah. helped, helped create that. I mean, obviously Hooper is overseeing the entire process, but yeah. yeah. They cannot be understated what they added to this movie. Well, it cannot be understated what they that's added. fair. That's fair. That's I think it's good runner up. I, I do think it's Hooper is you go with the kind of your your main one because he is the one for better or worse is the lead who's the who's the captain of the ship. Right. And no matter how he even feel though about, apparently like the crew like turned on him, turned on him, and the cast turned on him, and everyone was was confused by him. I, I, he he still found a way to, to get it made is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. So and it, it all spurred from that moment in the grocery store. <laughs> yeah, or and as a doctor with the Halloween mask. <laughs> um, so so uh, so no matter how I feel about how he did certain things, I think he is the one who carries the movie. Um, talking about Bob Burns, I forgot to mention this part. Another film fact um, is that the house, the farmhouse from the movie, is now a restaurant uh, in Kings Island, Texas. Do they sell sausage? I don't know. That's a great question. Do they? A barbecue, I guess he called. Maybe, it yeah, yeah, yeah. It's but yeah, it is. It is a um, a restaurant now. Oh wow! So you can go. I think we have they have the rooms and stuff that you can go into. And That's cool. Have you can have food at the where the room of the dinner table is, and <laughs> if you want to. So so I think it's still open. I don't open. know if I want to ever sit at that table. You know what's there? I, but yeah, I think I think <laughs> I mean, I'll go in. Yeah, yeah. Just, but yeah, I think I think it's still uh still open uh as of to as of now. Um, but yeah, I think Hooper, who Bob Burns is a great, um, uh, uh, suggestion. I think David, David Pearl also, cause, or Daniel, Daniel Pearl is, uh, uh, both things are very integral to the movie of, the, of the world. Yeah. This of movie. The film. Specific, yeah. Um, but I think Hooper is the one who, who pushes everything sure. forward. Again, I said for better or worse. All right. Final questions. I'm going to ask it, but I, I know your an- or I, I know somewhat of an answer you're going to give, but I'm going to ask it. If this film was remade today, even though it was just remade this year. Um, well, that was a requel, technically. Oh, oh it was a requel? It was technically because they brought Sally back. Yeah, I guess and so. It, and, and they retconned. They did the same thing Halloween 2018 did. It was like a direct sequel to the original. Oh, so like I, nothing I feel else like, mattered. Yeah. yeah. I, okay. I believe, yeah. So if you're remaking it, 
who do you cast? So dude? it's a straight remake. We're doing like straight remake. See, but that's my thing is like that's what all of them try to do is put a name in it. Yeah. Like 2003 did Jessica Biel. Yeah. Um, and like I mentioned, the you know in the other ones, they always had a name or somebody that was on the come up. A fa- yeah, a face. Yeah. yeah. They recognize my yeah. face. Um. So but, you're so you're. But I mean, who like are we completely recasting the family? Or are we specifically saying like it's going to be the hitchhiker, old man, Leatherface, and then Sa- I mean, yeah. Sally and Franklin? Is that yeah. our? Like, it's, it's it's just an exercise. Yeah, I don't know. I just I think I think this works more, um, and a lot of low budget movies of this time frame worked more because they they were no name actors. You yeah, know? I just think I that, agree, especially this one. Like it just feels so Texas. And well, we, I remember we talked again. Yeah. We talk, going back to Legend of Boggy Creek that Hunter and I talked about a year ago for our Southern Month uh, in September. So go back and check those that episode out. Um, is that it's really hard to cast a movie that's so like no one you know is in it, right? And it's and it's important that like if you want to have that feel like true life story or whatever, yeah. like. Also, is this take like are, is this taking place in the seventies or would it be a modern like a modern retelling like taking place uh, in modern day? That's a good question. As regards to a remake, I think you could do either. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, you could have like the technology, you know, kids that are like, yeah, I mean, yeah. now they're stuck in the country with no service. Yeah, that yeah, that's not cliche. Yeah. Uh, right, um, exactly. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. Um, that's your job, I think. That's your job. You're more the horror guy. Um, <laughs> I would never remake it. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> I think, Simple I as think that. They should have left it alone. I'm gonna throw. Uh, well, I, if if. If I will say this, if you did a bigger budget '70s version in the '70s, who I would cast his older brother or whatever is Warren Oates. Oh, interesting. That's my only suggestion of like because I'm like <laughs> as, old, as old man or as the hitchhiker. Which one? Oh, well, no, the the older brother. Oh yeah, so or, old, or, or, or the cook or whatever. Yeah, yeah, old yeah. Man. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. he's credited in, in in this one as old man. Old man. And, 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 okay. And, uh, so I would two. I would do Warren Oates as old man. If I if I did in the seventies, pretty brutal. Yeah, I just I think he has a he has a similar Warren yeah. Oates look. Yeah. I'm like, man, if this was a big movie, Warren Oates would totally be yeah. this character. Um, I think yeah, I think he would I think he'd be Warren Oates there. Um, I, there was one I feel like the main girl to me. One of them looked like Sissy Spacek to me, and I would, and maybe it was Marilyn Burns. I'd do like Sissy Spacek as Sally, if it I was a, that. if it was a big if it was a big movie at that time. Yeah, um, this before Carrie, so. it was right before Carrie. So maybe, maybe she wasn't that big yet, or she wasn't that big yet. Um, um, but yeah, if you're doing, I'm saying if you're doing names, say say mid to late seven, like say yeah, yeah. say say for example, it's supposed to happen with Paranormal Activity at one point, where like. They were they bought the rights to Paranormal Activity and they were gonna like just remake Paranormal Activity with bigger name actors right. and they didn't luckily. Um, but because it, same thing, it would lose thing. it. It would it, lose it. Would it would lose what made it so what made it so scary. But like let's say they bought the rights. Someone bought the rights to Texas Chainsaw Massacre before got built. Oh well, let's let's we remake it and put bigger names in it. I would say Stacey Spacek would be yeah. Sally. Warren Oates would be uh, um, would be Old Man. Um, I will say okay. I will say if you remake the day. Maybe do, um. Well, well, the reason I mentioned the whole phone thing—that was literally the plot of the of the new one. Oh, was was well, it? Well, they were okay. gonna, no, no, sorry, they were developers. They were gonna yeah. develop the town or whatever. But they're all on like their phones and like they're filming Leatherface. Oh, okay. It's really dumb. Okay. Uh, that that idea is really dumb. Yeah. So that's what I mean is like, if you're remaking it nowadays, are you setting it in the seventies? Are you trying to be like, oh, there are kids know. on a road trip? And I they, would say, yeah. I would say this if uh, just to, again, I keep, the old man's easy. I'm like, okay, who's the SAG actor I'm casting this movie? Right. Is it Walton Goggins? Another idea. Oh, for for old man, he might not be too. He might be might not be old enough, 
but he's been uh, he's he been he's been aged yeah. up in righteous gemstones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so possibly, but enough rambling about that. Um, no, I would see that. I'd see Walt Goggins in in a Sawyer family role. I would. Definitely yeah, I could see that, that if yeah. you do some kind of take on it. Yeah. Um, and does this so does this film fit any other genre? Um, we have slash fam- film. family drama. Is the family drama? <laughs> I mean, su- Both it's, sides. It's, it is a southern movie. I will yeah, say that's true. It's a southern film. Um. Is it a road trip movie? I don't know because they stop. I mean, they, they stop the whole time. Yeah, they so, get stuck. Just, but I mean, I guess the the lead up. It could have been. Yeah. Could have just checked out the house just, and left. Because yeah, that that and he's and he said like I thought you had some place to be or whatever yeah. he says when when he realizes that uh, when the brother realizes it's her. Yeah. Um, no, but I think it is a southern film. Texas movie also. Sure. I have to say separately is is a separate from southern southern film. Um, but I think this is pretty much slasher horror for the most part yeah, outside yeah. those two things. Um, and then how does this film fit in the slasher genre? What kind of, what is it, what are the elements that it has that make well, it I mean, slasher? Like said, it, defi- it, it, it might not have solely defined a lot of the tropes, but it helped like solidify, I think. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, obviously final girl, um, uh, being picked off one by one. Yeah. Uh, you have the sort of sexually confused killer idea. Yeah. Um, which was played a lot with in the eighties. Um, yes. uh, yeah, I mean, uh, oh, and then even the trope with the the family member with you know old man that the twist trope, that, yeah, twist. that twist yeah, yeah that yeah. was used a lot yeah um, I mean Friday Thirteenth <laughs> yeah well it's, well yeah it's, it's a twist yeah. like oh someone you yeah. didn't know was right. behind it yeah. is is actually with the killer right. in some way or is the killer yeah um so I agree with that I agree with that um well I think that's it on Texas Chainsaw Massacre David anything else you'd like to say about this movie. No, I think I very much covered it. Okay, well, I just want to make sure. Um, and next week is the final week of our slasher series, our slasher month for October. Um, we are talking about Ty West X. Um, is probably the more most recent film we've ever covered on the show. Very much influenced by Texas Chainsaw. Exactly, that was what we kind of wanted to cover. It was yeah. that it was I because I, I haven't seen it yet before we're, we're watching it, and Thomas is kind of doing that one. But um, I uh, I know it was influenced heavily by texas chainsaw i know there was influence apparently from psycho in it i think eaten alive too because of the oh is it yeah. okay. oh you'll see why so you'll see so, so, so there so the dna is there and i yeah. think and and i know there's some people i know do not like that movie but i know some people who really like it so i wanted to see when talking about slasher series and slasher genre where are we at in a modern yeah, especially context? A modern, like successful, one. exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that is one that harkens back to this spe- this specific era as as we're talking to, about, like, poking fun at it. Exactly. Which so many of the post nineties have, have correct. So, so I, I'm I'm interested to see what I'm going to take from that movie when I watch it. See, after we've been talking about all these movies with Psycho and House that Screamed and Texas Chainsaw, and even just the other ones that we've we've briefly mentioned or I've watched this month. Um, but yeah, but that's all we have for you on this episode. If you have any questions for us, feel free to contact us at sendationpodcast at gmail.com. Send us your questions, comments, or even kind words. Tell us your favorite Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequel if you'd like to. And yeah. And leave a review. And leave a review. Oh, or, leave a review or too. Or going to send Leatherface after you. Hell yeah. Yeah. And if you're, yeah, subscribe to us too. If you're a new listener, subscribe to us. If you're, if you're, you've listened to us before and for some reason haven't subscribed, please do so. Uh, you can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever your podcast. And as David said, if you haven't already, be sure to write us a review or Leatherface will come after you. Um, give us five stars. We really appreciate it. Tell us what your, tell us what favorite genre we've covered. Tell us what your favorite slasher film is. Tell us anything you'd like to let us know. We want to find out more about you guys, our listeners. Um, we want to find out more about you, you all, our listeners. Um, and finally, 
Don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and TikTok. David, thank you for joining me again. Thank you very much. Uh, in our apartment. Uh, and thank you all for listening. We hope you listen to our episode soon. Bye.